Hi, this is Intersection. I'm Janet Saidi. Around the year 1867, a youngish female writer in New England was asked by her publisher to write a book for children. She reluctantly gave it a try, at first calling her book The Pathetic Family. That author was Louisa May Alcott, and the book that came out a year later was named Little Women. And since 1868, the book has never gone out of print. It's been translated into about 50 languages and more than 100 editions. And it's become one of the most influential books written by an American woman. It's also, of course, been adapted to film several times, including Katherine Hepburn's version of Joe in 1933, and the most recent film by Greta Gerwig that came out over the holidays. KBIA is screening that Little Women film at Ragtag tomorrow. So how is it that the story of the somewhat boring lives of four young women <laughs> in 1860s New England has captured our attention so widely and for so long? We're having an intergenerational conversation about all this. Here to help us sort through the legacy of the story of Little Women is MU professor and English department chair, Alex Sakaridis. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. And we're also joined by KBIA producer Lee Wilkins. Hi, Lee. Hello. And KBIA's Rebecca Smith. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, very much not health reporting today. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just start because we are coming from this from very different perspectives. We've got um, Professor Sakharides, Alex with the scholarly perspective, and the rest of us are very enthusiastic readers of uh, Alcott and the book. Let me just start with, when did you first engage with this book? Uh, how old were you? Uh, Professor Sagridis, I think we should start with you. Okay. Um, well, I read the book as a child. I know I must have, although I have almost no memory of what age I was or, you know, it just, I must have read it and it kind of seeped into my imagination because I've known these characters for a very, very long time. Um, but the first time I really remember reading it then was when I was in graduate school. So um, it wasn't a book that I was ever assigned in college. And actually, I find that um, these days we don't assign it to grad to college students still, although I think it would be a great book to read in a college classroom. Yeah. Um, but I did read it in graduate school. And uh, yeah. Well, you're already raising a few questions for me, such yeah. as, you know, why should graduate students read mm. this? And you, you read it as a graduate student. Yeah, I did. And um, again, I should have looked up what course I read it in. Um, but because I study 19th century American literature, I took a lot of classes on transcendentalism, on Emerson and Thoreau. Mm -hmm. um, and so Alcott is definitely an author that I studied in my time at graduate school. The first thing I read by Alcott is this little essay that she wrote called Transcendental Wild Oats, which is a really fun essay, which is a kind of um, – uh, it kind of mocks her father's utopian undertakings <laughs> that he wrapped the family into. Yes, he was um, a, an active transcendentalist. Yeah, spoiler yes. alert, he was not like Mr. March not away at, at war. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the very big differences between Alcott's life and, you know, what's rendered in Little Women is that that father character is really, really different. But um, so, I, so I read her there and... Um, and it must have been in one of those 19th century American classes that I read, Little Women. Um, yeah. Okay. So much to unpack already yeah, with yeah. this. Becky, when did you encounter the book? I completed the book for the first time in my life on New Year's Eve. 
2019. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will admit, I, I've read many classics. I loved classics as a kid, you know, Austin, um, the Bronte sisters. I've read around Alcott, but managed to never actually come into contact with it. I, I've never seen the film. Um, I knew some of the big, you know, spoilers in the book. I was aware of them, and I was familiar a little bit with who the characters were, uh, but had never actually sat down with the book. And so, uh, yeah, I'm 27. Um, so a little obviously older than the characters in the book, even by the end. Um, and yeah, I've, I've never truly engaged with it. Not film, not book, not anything mm -hmm. until the last about month. <laughs> All right. Great. And uh, Lee. So I get to bring up the intergenerational part of this as Becky and I were talking about this and trying to reconstruct when I read the book. <laughs> we think I read it sometime between when I was maybe nine, ten, somewhere in there, approximately 60 years ago. I have never read it since. I have never seen any of the films. Having said all of that, I know for a fact that this is maybe one of the first books in my reading experience where there are tear-stained pages because mm -hmm. I was so moved by what had happened. Um, I know, because I remember as Becky and I have been talking, that this book pro provoked conversations with my mother about all kinds of things, yeah. including what it was that Beth was. And if there are young children who are hearing this, this is going to be a spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, what it was that Beth had as in the way of an illness that ultimately um, that ultimately cost her her life. Um, and as 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 we were saying, you know, I and I was this nerdy reading kid with brown hair who wanted to grow up and be a writer. I was Joe. So so these characters have, you know, in many ways had a big part, if nothing else, in my imagination. So I've probably imagined whole portions of this book that don't actually exist uh, <laughs> that will come up in this conversation. But that that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. Can I interject, Janet? We haven't heard how you engaged with the book oh, first. I read it as a middle schooler and okay. just loved kind of being induced inducted you know into that 19th century world and came away remembering sort of um I like to say sort of the tea cozy by the mm. fire scenes and then reread it um when I was reviewing a book for the Christian Science Monitor about the legacy of little women by Anne Boyd Rue a really good book about its legacy and so I reread it and was amazed by things that I that I think we all miss with this 19th century story that that are a little more complicated um, and in the character of Joe that we that we don't necessarily remember. Um, so that's I feel like the the book has a really interesting legacy for different ages. So that's why this discussion is kind of in, in, really interesting to me. What you've brought up is interesting about um, rereading it. So I read your review that you wrote for the Christian Science Monitor, and um, I actually haven't read that the book um, that's done so well and I think has brought a lot of people back to Little Women, but um, I mean to and I'm going to. But um, this question of not just reading it the first time, but rereading it, I think it's a book that people go back to a lot. And so last year at the 150th anniversary of the book, um, there's a there's an issue of Legacy, which is a journal where they asked, I think, 15 scholars to choose their favorite scene from Little Women and write about it. Wow. And, um, and so we all had to go back and read it again. So I read it again last year. And when you read it, every time I read it now, I see things that I never saw 
before. Um, so I think it is one of those books that really benefits from rereading. Yeah. Okay, I want to find out what those things are. But let, me just, <laughs> let me just take a second to say, you're listening to a special intersection edition. We're having an intergenerational conversation about the classic story, Little Women. What, if anything, in the stories of Joe, Meg, Beth, Amy resonate today? And how are the characters made relevant by Greta Gerwig's recent film adaptation of the story? With me in studio are KBIA's Lee Wilkins and Rebecca Smith and Emmy Professor Alex Sakharides. I'm Janet Saidi. You can hear the full conversation at kbia.org. So Alex, yeah, what are some of the things that you m- missed when you came back to it last year? You and I were both reading it last year, as it happens. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're the you know, the narrative threads that I remembered that I think are the ones that draw a lot of people to the book. So these, this, this kind of um, fantasy or we might say fiction of this household that although they are poor and although there's a war going on and um, their family has been split apart, that there's so much love and laughter and creativity that, you know, it's just like, warmth everywhere, right? So I think it, that is what draws a lot of people to the book and just kind of um, we get caught up in that fantasy of American life in the 19th century. Um, was it one and, of these threads that you really connected with? I'm curious well, what your like favorite vignette was. I don't, I mean, you know, I was a kid who actually loved um, Little House on the Prairie, which okay. I think is like Little Women in these ways, in that it's, again, a kind of fantasy of what 19th century American life was like, which is not really what 19th century American <laughs> life was like. You know, I mean, and as I think Alcott would have said herself, right, that this is not what life was like. Um, but she wrote it for an audience that yeah. wanted to consume that and that we continue to want to consume um, about the story of America, um, which is, you know, deeply flawed, um, but also totally, um, uh, you know, what's the word? Um, Intoxicating, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting into really my passions here uh, because (laughs) this is why Becky looked at me and laughed because uh, we have a joke that you can't have a conversation with me recently without me mentioning Laura Ingalls Wilder. (laughs) And exactly what you said, Alex, is what I love to talk about. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Little House on the Prairie, but I did read them. And what I think is really fascinating is that gap between the lives of the authors Uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, like Louisa May Alcott, had a really hard childhood, and and she wrote, both of them wrote for money. Yeah. Uh, So I just feel like there was a lot of grit and Mm -hmm. agency going on with the writers um, that we forget about when we think of these cozy 19th century fireside stories. Uh, and I just feel like there's a lot to unpack there, and I just kind of love that theme. Also, both of them were really resistant to writing this kind of novel, right, or the kinds of novels they wrote. So, you know, Alcott wanted to write, you know, as Joe did, sensational, gothic, exciting. That's great. (laughs) And, you know, it's always, that's one of the problems I always have with both the, the book and the film adaptations is that in the end we celebrate the production of Little Women, which was something that she was deeply conflicted about. Well, right? and but not we only have to it, celebrate it, not yes. only celebrate the you know the publication of Little Women, but in fact Joe the character is made to feel shame for writing the kinds of literature that Louise May Alcott wanted to write. Exactly that sensationalist kind of smut. You know she she ends up feeling ashamed that she wrote these these stories for money, even though. 
Like that should have been celebrated. Right. Literary agency for any woman should have been celebrated. And so that was, that was such a yeah. sad moment for me when I saw that she felt shame about that. Yeah, it's true. Lee, any thoughts on what we've said so far? Well, it's it's different when you when you remember the book as you were 10. So one of the things that attracted me to the book was I was an only child. So yeah. siblings were completely mysterious to mm. me. Sisters are, are a mystery to here's, me as well. So. Here's, here's a book about siblings. And so, I, you know, Alex, you said it was a fantasy. For me, it was like, oh, this is what having a sister must be like. Right. Because <laughs> I didn't have a sister. I had a dog. No, not knocking the dog. It's just, you know, it's just a, a different thing in, entirely. Um, I think the other thing about it that at least that I remember in liking is and I don't know if I came to this insight more as an adult. It seems a lot like a thing a 10-year-old would come up with. Was these, these were slices. Each of them was a slice of me in some ways, mm -hmm. a, a, something that I wished I had. You know, So Beth with her music and Amy with her art. I'm the least artistic person you ever met but always have aspired. Um, you know, even I, I think I read my own mother into the character of Marmy in, in some ways. So I, I sort of looked at it as, you know, these are these are parts of you that you're trying to get to know. This is what a family life might be like if it wasn't fraught. Mm -hmm. um, you know, forget the fact that family life is fraught. You know, it was me and the dog and my parents. So you know, it's it's just it's just a different way mm -hmm. of coming at it when you're when you're really reading it as that. You know, what we now call is that person who's just on the cusp of adolescence and trying to figure out what some of this stuff is all about. Can I deviate us for a second? I'm really, I want to tie into this idea of fantasy that you brought up, Alex. Yes. The thing, okay, so this is me putting on my health reporter hat. But the thing that I found maybe most, the thing that I connected with most and um, the thing that I found most fascinating about this book is the way that it engages with death. And the thing that I find so different in this book versus the books I read today is that even in an idealized world, in a fantasy book that Louisa May Alcott was writing, right, this perfect family, you still could not escape the inevitability of death. And that's something that I think in today's medical age and the way that we think about medicine, we don't engage with. And so mm -hmm. the chapter where um, Joe and Beth go to the seaside and her and Beth have the conversation about how, I'm like, sorry, getting really emotional, but how um, Beth has kind of come to the acceptance that she isn't going to have this life, this, this home, um, was insane to me because the fact that we were writing a book for kids and even an idealized world still included the death of someone that you loved the most is so foreign, I think, to people today. Mm -hmm. I don't think you see a lot of experiences with people who, who have illness that is inevitable, right? That death is inevitable. And that's what I think was most impactful for this book for me. Hmm. I think there are... Um I'm really excited for you to see the movie now. Um, <laughs> uh, Great. Just, so you can just be just, excited about me crying. <laughs> I mean, just in terms of how the death is done, um, which I think is really done very beautifully in this yeah. in this movie. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I have a few thoughts about death, which is that um, Beth's death is so interesting to me in that way because, and I, and you're very aware of it in this new movie that the you know that the seeds of her death are from that first illness, and then she goes through a stretch of time where she's fine but weakened, and then she dies, right? And so it's that lag where when death is usually you know portrayed in a novel someone gets ill or someone gets shot or right and mm. the death comes right away and it's this length of time that the family lived with the knowledge that she was going to die but then also that 
they were in denial. Maybe she wouldn't die because she had gotten better the first time. And so it's really protracted. Um, but, you suspenseful. know. Suspenseful. Yeah, and suspenseful, even though. I mean, once you once you read it, you can, you know you can never unread it. Like yeah. you forever know that this is what's going to happen. And when you reread it, you can see it from your very first encounter with Beth. That and I did is, know that going yes, into the book, so maybe right. that colored the way that I read it. But um, I did cry. You were rightly. But also, um, I mean, Louisa May Alcott's sister had died, okay. and so um, you know, in some ways, the four sisters are rendered, you know, relatively accurate. Um, the father, as we said, is super different, but, um, but her, the third sister, you know, um, the one that Beth is based on did die. And so it's clear that she, you know, this was, this was part of 19th century life that if you got an illness like this and your body was weakened from it, you would die. And so the idea that she would write anything other, you know. And it's interesting that while Alcott Bronson Alcott, the father, did not go to war and was a pacifist, vegan, Mm -hmm. transcendentalist, and sort of radical, but also progressive and ahead of his time. Um, Louisa May Alcott did go to war. Yeah. So she saw death on the front lines. She got as close as she could to the front lines as a nurse in the Civil War. Yeah. So she was... You know, you don't pick up a you know a, a little fireside cozy novel for written for children and expect to see this meditation on death. Yeah. I think that's a great. And she had point. actually written that the the book that came out of her time being a Civil War nurse, which is called Hospital Sketches. She wrote before she wrote Little Women. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the things that we never see in the movies, in any of the movies, is that she was already an author by the time she wrote Little Woman. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all these movies always show it that this book is like the book that rises her, you know, but she'd already published hospital sketches. She had already written really intensely about death by the Mm. time she wrote Beth's death scene. Well, and you, you mentioned, um, the, the hardship of her life and, you know, I feel like there's a class commentary that also is sort of there that doesn't come out as often. And she, you know, hospital sketches. I hadn't remembered that. I remember she she wrote something called Work based on yes. her own experience as a live-in domestic worker. And yeah. I, I feel like you don't really think of Louisa May Alcott that way. Right. This is Intersection. I'm Janet Saidi, and we're talking about Little Women. You may have seen the most recent film adaptation of the classic book. What comes out in this new film that is unexpected about these little women? And how is the life of author Louisa May Alcott reflected in the film and in the book? We're having an intergenerational discussion here on KBIA about Little Women. I'm joined by KBIA producers Rebecca Smith and Lee Wilkins. And the expert among us is MU professor and English department chair Alex Sakharides. You can hear this full conversation at kbia.org. So we need to actually ask you, Alex, (laughs) what did you think of the film? I mean, so all of these themes, do you feel like Greta Gerwig chose to take some of these sort of unrepresented themes and highlight them in this film? Yeah, I do. I actually really loved the film. And I'm not someone who says that I, you know, love films of beloved novels all the time. Um, And I had really liked the one from the 90s, you know, the earlier film that I'd seen. And um, but this was a very this is a very, very smart film. Um, uh, She clearly 
studied the novel very closely and made some really important choices and some really bold choices and creative choices. And I don't know how much we want to ruin here for people who haven't seen the I'm movie. I'm so excited. <laughs> I realized that the whole idea of like spoilers about Little Women are, are silly because it's been out forever. But I do feel like there are kind of spoilers about the movie mm-hmm. um, because she does really yeah. different things in the movie. So anyway, yes, she does. But I, but I, I did. I loved the movie. I'll see it again because I think, like the book, it will give back mm-hmm. from multiple mm-hmm. viewings or readings. So I read the book. I mean, so it was what? 1868, Okay. So, right. I, I do think there's a lot of this connecting to the idea of work and those sorts of things. A lot of feminist ideals, right? This is a family that survived on their own without the man in the household. Joe is supposed to be, you know, taking on the role of Papa in some ways mm-hmm. um, and all these things. And I'm wondering if the film even takes that a little further. I, I've tried to as much as possible because I have not yet seen the film. Mm-hmm. I tried to avoid, you know, those spoilers from the film. But one thing I I saw is that uh, Emma Watson, who plays Meg, has come out and talked about Meg's choice to be um, a mother and a housewife mm-hmm. as a feminist choice in that time. And so I'm wondering how it ties into the feminist ideals of the book, and if it does maybe take that that step further. In terms of Meg's choices? I mean, I Joe's think in choices, all choices, yeah. but I did find that interesting, because Watson yeah. herself is such a, um, an active feminist, yeah. and then to hear someone say, you know, making a choice to be a, a family-minded person is feminist, which I yeah. 100% agree with, right? Women should have the choice to do what they will. Um, but I'm just curious how you read that in the film. Yeah, I had I had I've seen the clip of Emma Watson saying that also, and I saw it after I saw the film, and it, and I think she's really right, and she did portray Meg that way, which I don't think in the past Meg has been really portrayed as a feminist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but it it's clear that. Uh, you know, part of what feminism is is being able to make your own choices about the way you want to live your life. Um, and she has to defend those choices to Joe, and that's an act of uh, her own power and her own agency, and that really comes across in the film. And I think, um, you know, Joe's feminism comes out uh, in the film in re- a really art- a scene of really articulate struggle with who she is and who she wants to be and um, a sense of feeling kind of trapped and limited in this world that she's been born into and yet, uh, you know, eventually finding her way through that. So, yeah, the feminism comes through really strongly in the film, I think. The way you described Joe just now is fantastic. And I think we should we should dive in and talk a little bit more about Joe. I feel like we all have thoughts about Joe. Um, we are first... a room full of them, Janet. This is a room full of Joes. We're a room full of Joes. Okay, just a warning for everyone. Do you think Joe, Alex, is a huge reason for the resonance of this story? Um, her bold kind of Uh, You could say challenging of gender boundaries. I think that's safe to say. I mean, even today, certainly in 1868, let me get your feelings on Joe. And also, I think I need to ask everybody who who, what character you do relate to. Lee, what what character did you relate to? Okay, so this is really interesting conversation for me because although I mean, it's little women. Right. And I completely identify with Joe. I think from whatever page she's introduced on. Um, she she and I share, uh, at least my self-perception is a lot of things. Like, for example, we both have brown hair. Well, mine's gray now, but, you know, it was Purple. brown. Um, we both wanted to be writers. You know, we both were not attractive people. You know, all of, you know, all of this sort of stuff. But interestingly enough, and I never saw Joe as, as 
a woman per se, as she was sort of this aspirational being that I wanted to be. And I never sort of worried too much about, oh, she's a woman who wants to be a writer. She was a writer to me. She was always a writer. And therefore, it was the writer part of me that identified with the character. Um, you know, and similarly, I think I, I think I read some of that into Amy as well. You know, Amy can afford to be an artist because she marries Teddy. Is there something wrong with that? And I think the, the book kind of leaves you with that question, especially when you're reading it as a kid. Yes. <sighs> okay. So I have, compl- I mean, what a shock. You can see how many just like dozens of post-it notes I have in this book from my read. Um, I think, once again, outwardly, I'm very much a Joe. Um, I uh, was a huge tomboy. And so reading that, you know, never getting to run a, run a ride as much as she wanted. I was like, yeah. And then the Meg finds her and nestled in the alcove, bur- buried in a comforter reading. That's me um, to a T. And so I definitely read a lot of that in Joe. Um, and there's some other things, right? Uh, feeling um, afraid of, you know, losing her sibling to the idea of marriage and those sorts of things. I don't have sisters, but I have, you know, oh, well, my sibling's getting married, whatever. Sorry, Stephen Greg, for calling you out. Um, but always like a fear of, of the do I still get them aside from their partner. So like a lot of those things I really read into. But I think that I am weirdly an aspirational Beth. Um, I think Beth is one of the most, um, she's the character with the greatest empathy I think I've almost ever read in literature. The very first moment, because I really struggled with part one that I connected to in this book, was when Beth goes over to the Lawrence house and just hugs Mr. Lawrence after he gave her the small piano um, in remembrance of his dead granddaughter. And that moment just blew me away. And then I say I'm an aspirational Beth because I want to be able to greet everyone with that empathy. I want to even be, I mean, I'm healthy, you know, thank goodness, but I want to be able to, to greet death and all these sorts of things. But I do think I am a Joe, but the, the reason I say an aspirational Beth is my favorite description of Joe comes from Beth in the scene where they're at the seaside and it's, you are the gold Joe, strong and wild, fond of the storm and the wind, flying far out to sea and happy all alone. And I think that's the most singularly beautiful description of Joe. And so, yeah, I think Joe, but with a lot of, of really trying to be a Beth. Wow, that's interesting. You're making me think that Louisa May Alcott probably also aspired to be Beth. Mm-hmm. And there's probably some of the transcendental philosophy and you know this is somebody who was growing up around Ralph Waldo Emerson right Uh, so there's probably some inspiration there so thank you for reminding us I think also Beth that's it's a great what you've said about Beth she's also you know the kind of glue that holds the family together and that always brings everyone back and she's the observer Mm -hmm. and in some ways although Joe's the narrator I think Beth is always like kind of the invisible narrator of the family and so they are much more closely tied I think than most people give them credit for him. Alex, what are your thoughts on Joe, the characters, and who you are? So I'm going to throw a wrench in the whole my thing, which is that going back to this question of rereading, so um, since this is an intergenerational panel, I'm 45. I have two children and two stepchildren, so I live in a a household with four children. And um, when I read it again last year, I really read Marmy in a very different way. I love it. And I think this movie does wonderful things with Marmy. I mean, I can't say, you know, more wonderful things about the movie, but that character of the mother comes alive again in a way that I think hasn't happened in the past. 
in the past or in the past movie that I've seen, I should say. Um, and really even in the book itself, right? I mean, Laura Dern does a fantastic job with that. And so again, as a 45-year-old mother, now I read the book as, you know, I see the ways in which she allows life to happen for these children, but she also has to kind of um, create an invisible space for herself so that they get to be on the stage. Um, I see her labor, her emotional labor. I see the ways in which she navigates um, their arguments with each other. But then also, I think, especially with Joe, having a child who you're trying to guide through the world and allow them to become their own person, but not guide too much, right? I mean, Marmy has this wonderful way of just kind of setting the scene for their successes and not pushing them too much, Mm. but also not um, just being kind of present enough. You know, people always say that, like, if you've done parenthood successfully, you've basically made yourself obsolete, right? And Marmy is this wonderful, (laughs) you know, that it's like a long act of making yourself obsolete. And so... She's like present and absent. And I think that the way she navigates that space is super interesting to me right now in middle life because I try to raise teenagers. Alex Sakharides, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Becky Smith, Lee Wilkins, thanks for joining us for this discussion. Thanks, Janet. That's Intersection, a special edition on the story and the film, Little Women. Thank you, Alex Sakharides, Rebecca Smith, and Lee Wilkins for the discussion. KBIA is hosting a special screening of the film at Ragtag tomorrow. Go to kbia.org to hear more. I'm Janet Saidi. Thanks for listening.